time. I don't want to take up any more time right now because I want to let you guys hear the incredible word from Miss Tracy Irwin. Give it up for Tracy, everybody. It's going to be good. Thank you, Pastor Jimmy. Um, uh, just real quick, something that I do all the time. Oh, by the way, I'm Tracy Irwin. I'm on the executive leadership here at The Resting Place. If this is your first time here, I'm so glad to be with you today and just encounter Jesus together. But something I like to do all the time is I like to ask God what's on his mind. You know, what's on your mind, God? What's on your heart? What are you thinking about? And unless you live under a rock, uh, you can see what's going on in our world today. Yeah? It's a little crazy out there, isn't it? And so one of the things the Lord's been speaking to me about is redemption. And so there are a couple ways that we have seen God um, use ministries that we have here to bring redemption to people. And one of those ways is something that we started before we even launched our church called Last Wednesday Prophetic. Who's heard of that? Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be, if you put the slide up, we're going to have Last Wednesday Prophetic this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, you just can join on, it's online, it's Facebook on, our, on the Resting Place Facebook page. We've seen uh, marriages transformed. We've seen um, suicide intervened. We've seen so many life-transforming things happen through this ministry. All online from people all over the world uh, join in. And so I just want you to know about it because you might know someone that maybe needs a word of encouragement, that might need to hear who they are. They might be believing a lie. And this is such a powerful time, and so I just want to let you know about that. Another ministry that we've seen uh, so much redemption, breaking off religious duty, just breaking off those things that keep us bound, is our school called the Jesus Lab. Anyone heard of that? Do you have Jesus Labbers in here? Yeah. And right after this gathering, uh, Madison, if you could stand up. We have Madison. She is a graduate. You can clap for her. Yes. She has made herself available to answer questions and even pray, like impart to you finances, whatever you need. Right over here, we have an information table. If you're curious about the lab, I encourage you to go. We have a short video. I want to show you about the lab. Hi, I'm Nicole, and I just finished my first year at Jesus Lab. I was looking for something more. I wanted to go deeper. So I was thinking, what could I do? And Jesus Lab is like a Bible study, but more than that. It breaks that mentality of the Bible study, where it goes beyond. And it allows you to study the Bible, but there's so much more. There's practical application. There's prophetic. I wanted to learn more about that. So if you want to go deeper, if you want to grow in prophetic, if you want to grow in more of your relationship with God, check out Jesus Lab. Yeah, you know you want to go, just go, all right? So uh, just pray with me, pray for me. Father, I just thank you for just your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for redemption. I thank you for just freedom. And I thank you that every person in this room will not leave the same. What they came in with is not what they're going to leave with. They're going to leave with freedom and they're going to leave with peace. Um, so I just thank you for that. I thank you that you're faithful to do that. And so we just bless you. We bless this time. I bless every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Excuse me. All right. So the Lord, as I was saying, is calling us to think about redemption as followers of Christ. And you've probably heard that word. If you've not been in church, you, you probably haven't. But if you have been in church, you've heard that word. And I just want to slow down a minute uh, and just really think about what that means. But uh, this is what God showed me. It's to see every person in every circumstance as redeemable. Honestly, every, just say every, there, there isn't one that isn't. So it's every, and I think we categorize, right? But God created us to be the most hope-filled, right? The most hope-filled population, the one who walks in victory, the one who holds solutions. He's called us the light of the world, right? You're the light of the world. You've heard that. Um, this little light of mine, right? Um, how are we doing with that? How are we doing at being the light? So we're supposed to shine the brightest. And really, in order for us to do that, we must be able to see every person and every circumstance through the correct lens. And so real quick, let's look at the definition of redemption. This is just a Webster's Dictionary definition. The action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something or someone mm -hmm, in exchange for payment. Clearing a debt. Who's had a debt cleared in here? I sure have. So I think it's important to look. I was curious. God, when was the first time that in all of the universe... <laughs> Did you intervene and bring redemption? Are you curious to know? Yeah, I was. Uh, we can find it in Genesis 3 before you put that up on the screen. Listen, the whole entire planet Earth knows what Adam and Eve did. <laughs> Could you imagine your, your mistake being global? Like, literally, <laughs> their mistake is global. Everyone knows, even pre-believers know what Adam and Eve did. Am I right? Yes. I am right about this. <laughs> um, anyone I've ever talked to knows Adam and Eve's story. And so they made a big oopsie. They, did a, they made a big mistake. Um, and so I'm going to pick up the story. If you can put that on the screen, Genesis 3, um, 8 through 11. I'm going to pick up the story after all that happened. And God comes on the scene. So then Adam and his wife heard the sound of Yahweh God passing through the garden in the breeze of the day. So they hid among the trees, concealing themselves from the face of Yahweh God. Then Yahweh God called Adam's name and asked, where are you? Honestly, guys, do you think God did not know where he was? Right? Kind of like when our kids are hiding and we can see them, but they don't know that we can see them. We're like, we could totally see you. <laughs> FYI. Adam answered, I heard your powerful presence moving in the garden, and I was afraid. Yep, he was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you you were naked? God said. And then I want you to see God's response to their mistake in Genesis 3.21. Yahweh God made garments from animal skins to clothe Adam and Eve. Right? The typical filter 
we make mistakes, we hide, right? That's what I've done. I've hid from mistakes I've made. The enemy wants us to be covered in shame, but God wants to cover us with his love. That's redemption. So it doesn't matter what has happened, what you've done, what you will do. That is God's plan. That's his only plan, right? He doesn't have a plan B. That is the only plan. So I want to ask you, you know, in what ways have you hidden? And they don't have to be big things. Maybe they're just small things. Maybe there's a, there's a little bit of you that doesn't know that you can trust God. And so you, you kind of put up a wall and you keep that part of you hidden. Maybe you believe God chooses to not cover you. Maybe you believe that that's for everyone else, but not for you. Like, maybe you've, you've, have you ever felt like you've messed up so bad you can never come back from it? I, ha I have felt that. I have felt that. Or maybe you know someone that feels that way. Let me read you a headline. A man in his 60s was caught entering every house and dragging off men and women and imprisoning them. He only targeted Christians. He was also found making death threats to anyone who were believers in Jesus. Does that sound like a, a modern day headline to you? Have you seen that happen in the world where Christians were dragged and killed or, or trafficked? Yeah. Um, well, this is actually Saul of Tarsus that I'm speaking of. So let's take a look at what God did to intervene for this man. So many of you may not know the story and many of you may, but Saul of Tarsus was, uh, I'm going to get into it in a minute, but I'm picking up this story after he, he actually had an encounter with Jesus. He was a bad dude. All right. <laughs> he was a bad dude. He was, yeah, not doing well in life because he was anti the way. And so in his mind, that was very bad. And so, uh, he has this encounter with Jesus on the road in, of Damascus, right? So let's pick up in Acts 9, 10 through 22. Living in Damascus. So just remember, this is, this is God's response to all that Saul was doing, okay? Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name Ananias. Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. The Lord said, go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in the supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. Okay, this really happened. And look at the dynamic here. This is a prophetic picture of how God intervenes, right? You have Saul seeing a vision of a man coming to heal him. And then you have a prophet named Ananias who the Lord speaks to him in a vision. So here we see the Lord using a vision to intervene in a situation. And the person he chose to intervene in this situation is Ananias. This is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. He did such an amazing thing. It just surprises me. I figured he'd be mentioned again, you know, an honorable mention later on. Like, remember that guy, Ananias? No, this is the only time he's mentioned. But 
uh, I love here how he kind of is helping the Lord out. So God tells him to go lay hands to restore sight. Let's pick back up. But Lord, Ananias replied, many have told me about his terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all, say all, all, imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. So in case God didn't know, he was feeling, filling him in and saying, hey, this guy is bad. Um, but the, the Lord Yahweh answered him, arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. What? What? This guy that's killing Christians is going to speak of who God is? Are you kidding me? Wow. I'm wondering if Ananias saw what God saw. I'm wondering in that moment if he goes, no, I don't know about that. Because let me tell you, Saul really was a bad dude and everybody knew him. And I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. Ananias left and found the house where Saul was staying. He went inside, laid hands on him, saying, Saul, my brother. Whoa. Come on now. Could you say that? Could you say that to your enemy? Saul, my brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to pray for you that you may see again and be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. All at once, the crusty substance that was over Saul's eyes disappeared and he could see perfectly. Immediately, say immediately, immediately he got up and was baptized. After eating a meal, his strength, and his strength returned. And within the hour, guys, within the hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming, Jesus is the son of God. What? Wait a minute. Just a paragraph ago, he was persecuting. He was pulling out dragging them out of their house. No. Those who heard him were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because of what he was just doing a minute ago. Those who heard him were astonished, saying among themselves, isn't this Saul who for furiously persecuted those in Jerusalem who called on the name of Jesus? Didn't he come here with permission from the high priest to drag them off and take them as prisoners? Saul's power increased greatly as he became more and more proficient in proving that Jesus was the anointed Messiah. Saul remained there for several days with the disciples, even though it agitated the Jews in Damascus. Wow. Wow, wow. I made a list of people I could not see through the lens of redemption. This is my list. You might have a list. This is my short list. They're obvious, but they're my list, okay? Don't make fun of my list. It's my list. You can have your own list. Um, you guys are quiet. Are you doing okay? Okay. You can be interactive. You can throw oranges, tomatoes, whatever. <laughs> um, 
The first on my list is the most obvious, but Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Epstein, and Bernie Madoff. These are some bad dudes. Did some pretty evil stuff. And I'm just wondering how many saw Saul through the lens of punishment instead of redemption in that day. I'm wondering when he came to preach in the synagogues, like, excuse me, you know. Um, but what I want to say is there is no one on the planet to God that is unredeemable. That list, they're totally redeemable. That, I don't know if that happened, but... I'm just telling you the character and nature of God that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you will do in the future. There is no one that is not redeemable. There is no one because God loves you. He created you. Why would he want to destroy someone he created? He created you for love. So it would be the opposite. There is no one. There's not a single person. But I want to ask you, let's just make this personal because I feel like the tension is that we tend to generalize these biblical principles instead of personalizing it. How do you treat others on social media? The ones you don't agree with? Now, I'm not suggesting there are zero consequences for people's behavior, right? I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm responsible for my own behavior. These people that I listed on my list, they were responsible for their behavior, right? But I'm also responsible for looking through the lens of redemption. So it's one of our core values. We have faith for everyone. Uh, but the challenge, that's the challenge. The challenge is we don't personalize these things. Um, and so we just need to, we just need to think about it through our own perspective. I mean, how many, I have, not on purpose, but I have inadvertently put down people I don't know, but people, let's say, I don't want to get political here, somebody in politics, <laughs> my view that I don't agree with, but inadvertently I was putting them down. And I got convicted. How many of you know the delete button is glorious? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for the delete button on social media. Because I got convicted. It's not okay. It's not okay to put people down. So what I want to say is if you're not coming alive to any of this, even at this moment when I'm talking, it could just be that you're trying to intellectualize this instead of encountering it. I want you to encounter it. I want you to encounter redemption today. The gospel was made for us to encounter because the gospel is a person. It's Jesus. It's the living word, right? How do you respond to other people or people groups behavior, right? So how is that being the light of the world? And how is that setting an example for the next generation? I think what happens, honestly, guys, is that we know what the truth is and we see people's behavior that's not, they're not acting in truth and a justice stirs up in us. Can I get an amen? I mean, I do. I mean, this justice meter just goes bonkers and I'm like, this is not okay, you know? So I think, again, this is why God's speaking redemption. We have to slow down and remember, wait a minute. How does God see this situation? How does God see this person? 
like, can we just commit to that? Like, if we just did that, we could change a lot of lives if we just did that. We could set a really good example for young people. I want to share you uh, one of my stories, my own personal redemption. So I'm going to tell you about my littlest. She's not little anymore, but her name is Faith Irwin. She's actually in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> I was not brought up in the church, and I had a very shady past. And living pretty much a thug life, stealing drugs, promiscuity. And I got pregnant. And I had an abortion. And I carried this shame for many years. And I was able to function in life until that season in my life where I had accepted Jesus. I was a newlywed. And we found out we were pregnant. And we bought one of those week-by-week pregnancy books. And I broke down when I read that book. Everything they told me in the clinic was an absolute lie, and I realized what I had done, and it was very painful, and I went through this program called HEART at a church, Healing Effects of Abortion-Related Trauma, and it was a powerful time of um, healing, but it was also very convicting. But what was cool is that they had a graduation, and that day after I graduated, I found out I was pregnant with faith. I wasn't expecting it, but one of the lies that I had believed is that I had deserved to be punished and that I shouldn't have children, any more children. So put, can you put up her picture on the screen? This is my gift of redemption right here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a huge blessing in my life. It changed my life forever and how I saw the Lord. I just couldn't believe that he would give me another child after what I did. And then this is her now. I mean, she's in the front row, but whatever. She's 19 now. Um, I went to Palestine a few years ago, and we were preparing widow bags for the, for the widows. I'm Jewish, and the reality set in to me that these women are widows because their husbands were killing Jewish people. And I thought, that's pretty radical, God. <laughs> I didn't put those two things together until I arrived there. And I was jet-lagged and emotional. And I had my own stigmas about Palestinians. And God really did a big work in my heart. And I fell in love with them. And these women came in who have nothing. And they lined up, and we were putting crowns on their head as they came in. And we serenaded them. It was just mind-blowing. They had no idea that I was Jewish, which was just, it was like I was on a secret mission of, of redemption, of going, you have value no matter what happened. No matter what you think, no matter what your husband did, you have value. Not because of what you did or didn't do, but because how God created them. Society has been fascinated has been fascinated with punishment for a very long time. Just look what they did to Jesus. He wasn't even guilty. But we are actually unpunishable, guys. And I'm going to prove it in a minute. But the point is, is it doesn't matter what you've done. I've said it before. It doesn't matter what you've done or what someone has done in your eyes. It doesn't matter what you'll do in the future. Jesus loves you. And he already cleared your debt. 
He took the punishment for you. So why are you punishing yourselves? Stop punishing yourself. He already did. Let me read another headline. A false arrest was made outside of town. Even though he was innocent, his best friend who could have cleared him refused to acknowledge his reputation and innocence. When questioned, he denied knowing the man on three separate occasions. Who do you think that is? Peter denies Jesus after he is arrested, betrayed him three times. Not just once, but three. He threw him under the bus. He said, I don't know him. Could you imagine Peter's heartbreak knowing what he did? Here's Jesus' response. John 21, if you could put that up. This is after Jesus resurrected. Say, after resurrection. <laughs> They're having breakfast. After they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Joda, do you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs. Jesus said, Jesus repeated his question the second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of Jonah, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you, Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. This was on the shore of Galilee after he was resurrected. In verse 15, Jesus called, calls Peter Simon's son of Jonah because Jonah was a prophet who had ran from his calling but was supernaturally restored. So Peter had followed Jonah's example by denying Jesus and running away. Yet Jesus now stood before him to fully restore him and heal his heart. This is Jesus's response to our uh-ohs. This is God's response to the biggest mistakes we could make in our lives. Redemption, guys, redemption. So my question is, does your heart burn for him knowing this? What happens after this blows my mind because Peter makes a global mistake. Again, everybody in the entire universe knows what Peter did. But he preaches one of the greatest sermons of his lifetime right after this in Acts, Acts 2.41. If you can put that on the screen. Those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000. 3,000 believed in Jesus that day. 3,000 people knew they were loved. 3,000 people got set free. 3,000 people met the Prince of Peace. 3,000 people had chains broken that day. They were all baptized and added to the church. So what would have happened if Peter had stayed hidden or didn't allow Jesus to restore him? What would happen? Who, I mean, I... I said la the last gathering that I I'm, I'm often want to hide. One of the things I want to hide from is my calling because there's a sacrifice and there's it's a sacrifice. And I know Peter knew what that sacrifice was going to be. 
And so he could have stayed in, but he didn't. And because he didn't, 3,000 people's lives got forever changed. But I want to say there will never be a circumstance, there will never be a choice that cannot be redeemed. What circumstance are you facing right now that seems bigger than God's ability to turn it around, show up, or lead you out of? What lie have you been believing? Let me close with good news if I can get the prayer team to come up. I'm going to read out of Romans 5, 7 through 11. It's going to be on the screen, but then there's going to be some verses that are not on the screen. And if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. But I want you to hear what the Lord is saying to you. Now, would anyone dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? Would you die for a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still so much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration. You are now righteous in my sight. Right now, you are righteous in his sight. Right now, I don't care what you've done today. I don't care what you did when you woke up. You are righteous right now. If you said yes to Jesus you are righteous right now. That is what my Jesus says. That's what my Bible says. You are righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, do you hear that? It's because of what Jesus did, not what you did. It's because of what he did. He did it. You, don't, you didn't do anything to be righteous. You did not do one single thing. He made you right because he loves you. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never say never. Never. You will never experience the wrath of God. I want to tell you today, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if someone tells you that because this city did this, or because San Francisco is full of this or that, that the wrath of God has come, that is a lie. If you say the wrath of God has come on someone's life because they made a choice, that is a lie. Because it says right here, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of a living, reconciled to God, all because of Jesus Christ. When, when Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed, yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Now, there's no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience 
for the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and His gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than it was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we were all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God. Acquitted with the words, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty is the verdict. You are not guilty because He paid the price. He took the punishment for us. It says it right here. We are unpunishable. He does not punish us. He acquits us, not guilty. So right now, just go ahead and stand up with me. If you've never said yes to Jesus and you want that peace and you want that want that peace and you want to know him that way I want to invite you to come to the altar no excuses no facade there's no fakeness here we're not being fake here I'm not conjuring up some kind of emotion but I'm inviting you to lay your hearts open fully to him because of what he's done elicits that a response so if you're not feeling a response maybe you have walls up so I just want to say let the walls down let the walls down if you're hurting let the walls down if you're finding yourself unable to respond to the gospel just let your walls down I just say walls come down right now in the name of Jesus if you're dealing with addiction depression relationship hurts come to the altar you don't have to wait just go ahead and come up now we're opening up the altar now this is our response time guys this is us responding to the gospel of Jesus who is the one who was the one and is and is to come. And he is the answer. He made a way. If you're hurting, if you have doubt, if you have fear and insecurity, if you're confused, I'm calling you to the altar. Don't wait, just come on up. We have the prayer team here for you. They have faith for you. They wanna pray for you. They wanna speak life into you. I do not want one person leaving out of here with what they came in with because the offer is being made right now for peace to come, for peace to come, for answers to come, for truth to come. So just go ahead and come on up. And if, if you're not feeling led to come to the altar, pray, pray in this room right now. Start interceding, start praying. You're the intercessor team right now. Just start praying for people in this room.